0: On this week's episode of Slashers, we're doing Humanoids from the Deep. The movie's so nice, Roger Corman made it twice. Stay tuned until the end of the episode for a special track from our friends, Bolognium!
1: Between
0: Life and death there is humanoids from the deep there is slashes podcast a podcast about movies and more for those who love horror my name is jake and with me for the first time ever is my friend my pal my confidant doug Waugh. doug say hello to the mutant goons from beyond hello
2: all you slasher pods listeners I'm finally on their show. I last time I talked to them was uh, during the what was the Doctor Sleep. Yeah, we watched Doctor Sleep. It was the parking lot review. So feels pretty good to be on the actual recording now.
0: And you got good feedback. People were nicer to you than they are to me. And it's my own fucking show. People were like, hey, get Doug back on. I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> what about me? I'm <laughs> my job live here. Come on, guys. So how are you enjoying the apocalypse, my good friend?
2: I'm enjoying it. 2020 is a very good season of the Twilight Zone right now. This right. is <laughs> one of the craziest. But yeah, like I said, you wouldn't, you wouldn't realize how crazy everything is. You know, first it was World War Three in January. February was the Australian wildfires. Oh my God, yeah. And then coronavirus, then murder hornets, but I didn't see any murder hornets, personally. Yeah.
0: Um, they knew to say the fuck away from me because I'd sucker punch a murder hornet. You know what I'm saying?
2: Oh yeah, no, know. You got to get them, just suck out that poison out of that that ass or whatever's in there. <laughs> like, so, city slicker yep.
0: style? Yeah, boy.
2: Yeah, city slicker style, yep. So, yeah, the murder hornets, I didn't see any of those, but now we're in the age of you know, a new civil, a civil movement. And it's been a boiling point. I'm kind of, I'm very happy this is happening. Granted, you know, in the middle of the virus, it makes things a lot more difficult and crazy. But 2020, we're, we're in the middle of the history right now being written.
0: Yeah, man. And, you know, honestly, every day I get up, I feel kind of like the meme where it's Michael Jackson pulling out his popcorn and just like kind of looking up of like, oh, what's it going to be today? You know, I remember seeing the thing about cannibalizing rats in New York. And I was like, boring. Need worse news because I'm used to the rest of it. Cannibalizing
2: rats. I did not hear about that one. Yeah. I did see, however, NASA did say that there's an asteroid heading towards Earth, but it's going to miss it by 700 million miles, I think. But there's uh, that. Oh, we did have don't. earthquakes too. So. There we
0: go. I was about to say, I'm going to bust out my Aerosmith CD. I don't want to close my eyes. little Armageddon <laughs> reference for you there, for you, uh, yeah. you millennials who don't know what it's at. So yeah, to, you know, what I'm, have you been I'm, doing as far as you're an aspiring filmmaker? Tell our friends where they can find what you've done and where they can find what you're going to do.
2: Yes. So right now, it came out during the coronavirus pandemic like when that first started. But Don't Touch That Dial, a film I made about seven years ago showed up on Troma Now. So you can go to Troma Now, check out Don't Touch That. That was the first feature film I made, and it started back when I was in college. So that's on Troma Now. And then I teamed up with Rob Mulligan, and Rob Mulligan uh, has his own show called Mulligan's Monsters on Troma now. And I made an episode three called The Incel. So it's, awesome. it's a great uh, little monster movie. You know, it's Troma. So very uh, offensive, very terror firmer-esque. But uh, we did have an awesome puppet named Baby Incel who runs <laughs> around and uh, kills incels. The Incel Baby puppet was made by Joe Castro, who is a director and basically monster effects guy. He does a bunch of uh, low budget movies with some really great gore effects. It's kind of like uh, whoever the makeup artist was on full cheese movies okay. with that very gooey eyeball type stuff. Hell yeah, dude. It does effects like that. So
0: I just actually watched a really great horror marathon that my friend Giallo Grind on Instagram and Twitch put out. And he's going to be doing those pretty frequently. So give him a follow and like because I love juicy, gory, schlocky shit. And it was a great thing to put on the background while I was pretending to do my real job. So, Doug, this was your choice because we're supposed to be doing the Beecher Creature feature for this month, which is basically just horror movies, uh, creature features, but specifically beach party style. And why did you choose this movie? Well, Humanoids from the Deep. I actually really love this movie more than Jaws, to be honest.
2: I could see that for sure. It's the monster in the water movie where you actually get the gore and you get to see the monster. It all builds up to it at the end. Yeah, absolutely. With some great effects too. But I really enjoyed this one because I—I feel it's a great film and it's definitely got its cult audience. But I don't think a lot of people know about this one too much, or maybe they've heard of it. You know, like the the, the cover, Humanoids from the Deep. It seems like one of those sci-fi B movies from the '50s that yep. a lot of people just like—they know it by the title, but they've never actually sat down
0: and watched it. For sure. Or people know it in kind of a negative way of like oh that's the fish rape monster movie and it's like well hold on alien is an alien rape monster movie as well so i think that being that dismissive is a little frustrating because everybody knows i mean i'm i'm the super i have i have a really hard time watching anything with rape or stuff drives me crazy and i don't by no stretch of the means am i excusing it but that's what this movie is about that horror You know, Mm -hmm. it's to be eaten is not the horror to be raped is the horror and the consequences thereof. And so, you know, those parts make you uncomfortable, but it's it's effective. And what's funny is, even with Roger Corman going in and re-editing and re-filming to make it, you know, more of a titty flick and make it more exploitative, it still doesn't feel as exploitative as a lot of modern horror when it deals with topics such as rape. So you ready to get into some trivia for this one? I am. Yes. Fire away. So. I don't know if the copy, I think the Shout Factory copy also has this where the title says Monster and then the subtitle is Humanoids from the Deep. Monster was actually its a European title.
2: Yeah, and that's interesting they left that in. But yeah, it does have Humanoids from the Deep and very small. It's like the fine print of the medicines, like right at the bottom. It's like, you know, da, 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 here's all the fine
0: print. Exactly, the disclaimer, yeah.
2: Yeah, I, could, I couldn't even see it from the TV. I'm like, what does it say at the back? Oh, Humanoids from the Deep. Okay. Yeah, so. I was
0: watching HG and it still was pixelated as fuck. And I was like, oh, okay. This was an afterthought. But which name do you like better? So there's Monster. It was filmed under the title Beneath the Darkness, and then there's Humanoids from the Deep. I like
2: Humanoids from the Deep because that just it's it just sounds schlocky and yep. like I said, 1950s B movie drive-in type humanoids from the deep. That's just...
0: it stays in its lane really well. You know, that's what I mean. Like when it comes you compare it to anything else where it's like, if you had named it Beneath the Darkness, it sounds like it's aspiring to be taken seriously. We know it's not. It it is a schlocky, borderline B movie from the '50s. So to stay in its lane, it makes it kind of ingratiates me a a bit more. You know how people always want to throw temper tantrums and sue movie studios where they're like, "That movie trailer doesn't match that movie, partner." Well, this definitely matches. Mm -hmm.
2: It does, yeah. This definitely feels like a uh, even like it was it was it's actually really Corey for its time. Yeah, dude. I was rewatching, like, man, this has got head rips and everything like that in there which I don't know, like at the time that seemed like they censored. No, that was the 70s. So they really didn't, the MPA really didn't go crazy until the 80s. Correct. Yeah. So that's why I think, I think this was rated PG. I don't know. Yeah, this is, <laughs> yeah. It, this
0: is before the, you know, I always reference Gremlins being like that and Temple of Doom being the most influential elements of the PG-13 uh, rating system. So yeah. Uh, did you know that there was actually a comic book released for this movie under the same name in 2010?
2: i did not know that that's it's interesting to find out. i wonder how much it is on ebay
0: it's, it's pretty cheap i actually you can find it on, on lots of stuff and you can find pdfs of it and comiXology has it so if you want to buy it for digital it's cheap benjamin hall did it it's really great it's fittingly released by blue water productions which i thought was funny because it's aquatic you know what i'm saying but basically it is graham who it's implied is like one of the humanoids that's born into captivity and They escape, but he still has some more human characteristics than his counterparts. Super short. Very well done. It's got the camp exploitation and stuff. The ending reminds me of Night of the Living Dead. I give that one a thumbs up.
2: All right, cool. That's definitely on my uh, to-do list now to see an official sequel for that there.
0: Yeah. In doing your research, I was very pleasantly surprised that I was reminded of a show from before I was even born called Inhumanoids. Did you ever hear about that?
2: I've heard of Inhumanoids. I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head if there was like any... I remember the title. I can't say I remember any visuals from it, though.
0: So Marvel Comics produced it. So it was Marvel's production, and it was animated by Toei in 1986. And it's, it's just worth looking up. There's some comics. It's a cartoon and everything. But that was fun. And I just also wanted to say that when I was watching this, I watched the movie on Tubi. And you can also find The Horror of Party Beach from 1964 on there. So I would recommend that as well. It just it's a, it's a good tandem. It's kind of like this movie is basically that movie on steroids.
2: Yeah. The, ho- yeah, the Horror of Party Beach. I remember that movie being kind of boring. I remember watching it.
0: <laughs> so Yeah, I mean, it's basically the same kind of thing where it's like almost pseudo slashery in that capacity of like oh we're going after the teeny boppers and everything but the pacing in that movie is kind of bad the costuming is fun the creature having that weird kind of like beak thing but i think obviously it just everything in this movie is a little bit better now speaking of this movie and things being better or perceived as worse did you ever get a chance to check out anything from the 1996 remake that roger corman also produced
2: i did not when you told me about that i was going to go on youtube and just check out a few links but uh i didn't i didn't see anything so it's kind of i don't even know what it kind of looks like from here so i wonder what the monsters look like
0: in that it's the exact same monsters so much so they reused all of the footage at the carnival with the humanoids it's oh you're fucking kidding hilarious Oh, my God. It's so funny. Like you barely get full bodied humanoids like a couple times in the movie. The only times you really get like full creature effects are from 16 years before.
2: Wow. So I wonder how they mix that footage of people's attire from 1996 to
0: 1978, 79. Yeah, it's kind of a weird one, but it it works out kind of, you know, not too upset by it. It stars Robert Carradine, who is an orca, which is our first Mm -hmm. feature creature feature movie. And really, I enjoyed it. The ending is pretty fun. It rips off the whole alien chest burster a couple times in the movie, but well, this one did too at the very end. So exactly, but this one does it a couple more times. And I think the one thing it's kind of fun to watch this because. The issues that it addresses are kind of all still relevant. Like you're talking about GMOs, you're talking about pollution, you're talking about protests. So in that capacity, it's interesting. One guy is basically, you know, he wants to be a whistleblower and say, hey, we're doing these bad things. And the guy's like, you don't want to put these people out of work, do you? And I was like, wow, this is all like headlines that I've seen lately. This shows me that I'm living in a horror movie. (laughs)
2: Yeah, or just time repeating itself over and over again.
0: Exactly. Mick Garris actually called the film a monsters and memories festival in the best new world tradition. And I think that's the best way to describe it. But now that I've talked about every movie, but this one, shall we get into the statistics for this week? Well, let's get into statistics. So I tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it doesn't even matter because I couldn't find the budget of this film. I could just find that it grossed two point five million dollars, which honestly, I'm not mad at.
2: No, I mean two point five million dollars at the time. Honestly, I got to think this has got to be probably half less than a million, five hundred thousand, considering it's a Roger Corman thing, if not less. So, it yeah, that is notoriously it's cheap. Yeah because the biggest thing was probably the makeup effects on there. But um, I mean, it had Vic Morrow. It had some pretty big name people in there for the time. So
0: yeah, for frame of reference, this movie would have made $5,956,993.49. But you know, who's counting? No big deal. But
2: yeah, definitely. Well, it it, it made money because I know Roger Corman probably didn't spend more than 500000 on it.
0: And he went so, and revisited the property, you know, and that one was produced by Showtime. So, you know, he made money to do both. So yeah. And being able to reuse props and footage, you know, he made a bunch of money doing that too. Super smart. That's the thing. Like he and Herschel Gordon Lewis, there's like schlockmeisters are great. Cause you can appreciate them in two ways. You can appreciate them for their artistry and you can appreciate them for their, just like their moxie, their chutzpah, you know?
2: Yeah. Definitely great way to make money. And Roger Corman's interesting to watch too. Like when people bring up, you know, just like, Oh, how'd you make so much money on a low budget? Well, the first <laughs> thing you have to do is sit down Analyze your actors, reuse sets that the old movies
0: are using, and you save money that way. 100%. And it's fucking smart. You know, why reinvent the wheel? I mean, Jesus Christ, have you ever watched the old Power Rangers TV show? You could see like they're just reusing sets, they're reusing things. You can see a lot of those creature effects being used in different ways and stuff. And I can't be mad at it. Like I said, I, I kind of appreciate it in a different way where it's like it's almost its own artistry to see how that becomes, if that makes sense.
2: It does. It saves a lot of money, too, because a lot of these big Hollywood movies pay millions of dollars for some sort of effects or like just scenery. And what do they do after they get their shots? They tear it all down or they just leave it there. And that's why it's smart for Roger Corman to go in and use that already used up property, you know. So,
0: yeah. And we have to kind of address the elephant in the room here. The film came out May 16, 1980. What came out May 21, 1980? That would be the Empire strikes back. So Oh yeah, hey, Empire strikes back. That's going to be a tough one for me to try and topple.
2: So so yeah, I mean for the Empire strikes back, what what did that make at the time? This I mean, this still probably ran a a good while after that, like drive-ins and stuff, I'd imagine.
0: For sure. I mean, also, just the month of May. Let's look at the whole month and and beyond. Uh, You know, you had Friday the 13th come out on May 9th. The Nude Bomb came out that same day, which was based on Get Smart. So you kind of have that more comedic schlock. Empire Strikes Back, Carney, The Shining, this little movie you might have heard of. So just Mm. in that month, there's a lot of competition and then as you move on into the summer there's a lot less but i mean just the replayability of the empire strikes back let me look at its opening weekend just for purposes of comparison it made 1.5 million dollars in just the opening weekend so you compare that to this movie's entire run it almost did it in a day but obviously Mm -hmm. you have a higher budget it's an existing intellectual property and this movie's about fish rape so i mean really it did pretty fucking good when you think about it like if you tried to sell this movie to somebody as an elevator pitch, most people are not going to make that movie. Well, there'd be some blue angel. (laughs) Oh yes, exactly. Or burning angel. I think that's (laughs) of repenetrator fame. Yes. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. the running time of the movie, 80 minutes. Do you love it? Is it easy breezy, beautiful cover girl? It is. I mean, the thing is when you pop it in, I rewatched it again and I'm just like, man, this,
2: this runs like gangbusters. Next thing you know, it's like, there's already a fish attack scene. There's a boat explosion within the first, 10 minutes yep Um, titties yeah right titties yeah a lot a lot of titties so this is up there like this is up there with like the trauma style nudity where it's like nudity every minute or so
0: yeah i'd say that it's deliberate to the point where it's very clear to me that roger corman went in and was like okay i'm gonna shoot for this and for this and for this because i need to get titties here here and here so that we can keep things moving it seems highly calculated
2: it was. And another crazy thing, too, because I've been kind of seeing because uh, you've seen all the older movies and stuff. But when I rewatch this, it's kind of like, man, at the time, you know, it, it really had a focus on, on female, you know, like tits and stuff like that coming out. But now it's like you think about it, horror movies now. When was the last time you saw gratuitous Nudity? Because no one had spank bags back then, you know, no one had Pornhub. And so that, that's sold now. It's now it's like it's weird if you see nudity in newer films, it's. That's what I, at least in, within, within Hollywood, there's plenty of the independent ones that go all out, but no, any, any horror movie I've seen recently, you know, bigger budget Hollywood. There's no, it's not tits like they had in the eighties and seventies and stuff like the schlock
0: Exactly. And you know what? Like I I've often said, and I don't even say it to be joking. Like, I think that like the fact that men aren't exploited the same way, like, Don't get it wrong. I think that sexual exploitation, if you can use tits and ass to sell cheeseburgers, like why can't you have it in your horror movies? So like have a little dick popping out or whatever. I don't give a shit. Like the whole thing, like horror to me is a celebration of all the things you can't say and think in your daily life. So just like make it perverse and weird and just have fun with it. So yeah, kind of to your point, it's like it feels like everything's kind of gotten like weirdly regressive and like all of the movies are the same where it's like basically, oh yeah, here's your jump scare. Here's your really loud music. Here's your creepy kid. Here's your creepy doll. Here's your creepy whatever. When all I really want is a monster to bite some titties and maybe another monster to bite some wieners.
2: Yeah, you don't get that much now. I mean, trauma's the exception. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, I think Return of Nukem High Part 2, I watched it. I'm like, man, this feels like all this nudity in this. This feels like something that came out in the 90s or 80s yeah you don't see that now but it was equal opportunity nudity so a lot a lot of uh a lot of you know extremely graphic nudity but you also get penises you get monster penises monster ass regular penises morbidly obese penises fat vaginas skinny vaginas some as big as your head and bigger
0: i love it i kind of wish that you would have sung it to the jingle of the oscar meyer wiener song but i'm into it
2: I was. I had the tune of the I've Got a Lovely Bunch of Coconuts. There we go. I'm
0: all about that shit. So directed yeah. by Barbara Peters, mm-hmm. a competent director. But if you look at the movies that she had done at this point, she'd done The Dark Side of Tomorrow, Bury Me an Angel, Summer School Teachers, Starhops. And a lot of these are basically like, look at these cute girls. And if you look at the posters, I mean, it's lots of tits and ass. And so it's very interesting to me that she basically kind of drew a line in the sand when it came to dealing with Roger Corman. At that time, a pretty successful guy. And she basically says like, no, I will not shoot these extra scenes that you want. I will not exploit women because the whole point of me doing this film in the first place was to have empowered women. And so basically, Roger Corman was like, okay, well, I'm just going to get James Spitalardi to go ahead and film all the other stuff. And he was the second unit director. I don't think that Corman necessarily had the power to kind of tank her career. But it seems that after that, she basically just did TV pretty sporadically Mm -hmm. until the late 80s and then just stopped.
2: Yeah, well, I know TV does pay well. So maybe that was just a little bit of the, I don't know, it it, it would have been cool if she would have done something else besides this here. But I mean, mean, that's really what you remember. Because the thing is, if this didn't have the gore or the nudity, I don't think it would be as remembered as much as it is now. It would just be another thing like, oh, another Roger Corman film that has David Carradine or someone in it like that. Just kind of. Ends up in
0: the back burner. Yeah, it'd, it'd completely be a statistic. and You'd just be like lost by comparison. So you're mm-hmm. totally right. When it comes to the writing of the film, that gets a little bit more interesting because you had William Martin did the screenplay. Frank Arnold did the story along with Martin B. Cohen. Cohen was co-producer with Corman. So... Each of these guys kind of has multiple duties in this movie. Frank Arnold, who also worked on the story, he plays a cameo appearance as the old man in the movie. So the one thing I found as far as William Martin goes, the only other thing I found that he did of note was this and American Experience from 1992. So not a very prolific writer. In terms of the topics, the themes, what it deals with, there's a certain degree of timelessness to this movie, right?
2: There is. Besides the outfits and everything like that, where you can tell it's like late 70s, early 80s. No, just say late 70s because it definitely feels like a 70s movie. Yeah. But with the 80s gore, that didn't really happen until like the mid 80s with the extreme gore and stuff. But it's it's timeless. I, I you could pop it in any time, no matter what age you are, you'll be entertained by it. Any kid would sure watch it just kind of sit there because it moves so fast. So one thing, when you one frame, you got the monsters on there, you get the boat explosions, the gore, the nudity, but it's it's very fun. I I enjoy this more than Jaws. Yeah, and this is
0: great if you have a short attention span or. There's a movie I often reference, and forgive me if I've done it on the show before. But in the movie, Win a Date with Tad Hamilton, the girl has an analysis when it comes to Pringles. She says, "If you're going to have a lot of Pringles, you want plain because you want that pure flavor. But if you only get a little bit of Pringles, you want some kind of flavor because that'll get you there." And that's what this movie is: is it shorter and it's just chock full of fucking flavor, like everything has something, as opposed to like you're saying, like Jaws, where it's Jaws is great because that you have that pace to work. That's your plain. Pringle, and I mean that in the most endearing way. This is your I got a little pack in my lunch, and I'm about to get to go play some freeze tags. So I got all the flavor I need right here, right? Yeah, that's a good analogy. I try to put, especially with this
2: one here, besides like just the schlockiness of it, there's actually some good suspense and scare scenes on here. I I don't, well, that we'll probably get there later, but uh, like the whole scene with the baby when yeah, the mom's dude. guarding her, and that's, that's got some good suspense. That reminded me of The Incredible Melting Man a little bit, if you remember that movie. Oh, for sure.
0: <laughs> it reminds me of stuff like The Fly. It reminds me of in Halloween when Michael Myers is next to the baby, where you're like, fuck, don't do it. Don't you fucking do it. Like, I, it works. And I don't, I think that would have worked on me even before becoming a lame old cranky dad. Yeah. Cause I, at first, you're like, oh, it's going to eat the baby. Yeah, for sure. You kind of hope it does, but there's fuck like a kid gets murdered in the first five minutes of this movie. It's fucking rad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on par with the gore from. Uh, it's a little more CGI gore in that,
2: but if you've seen the uh, the Alejandro, uh, the Alejandro Aha Piranha movie, hell yeah, that movie fucking rules. Uh, yeah, yeah, it gets up there with the gore, like the whole carnival scene and everything like that. Yeah. So
0: some good stuff in there. Aha, fucking rules, man. Did you see Crawl?
2: I did see Crawl. That was very that was that was a movie. I didn't think no one expected it to be. In fact, it, I don't even think it had the right to be that much fun and and suspenseful. When I watched it, I'm just like, oh, this is going to be something that I'm going to watch on Netflix. But I'm like, no, this is this is very intense. This is this is really
0: good. It's like he took Piranha and was like, oh, you guys think that you only enjoy this because it's schlocky? No, no, no. I can actually just do this movie straight, and he did the movie straight, and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know I mean, so I would highly recommend his career.
2: Yeah, his early one too. High tension is really good. I don't know if you've seen High Tension.
0: Fuck yeah, we did an episode on it where I showed it to my wife, who was like, "Wait, what happened?" Yeah, the big twist is like, "Well, how did she do this, and how did how did this person do this?" And I
2: don't want to give spoilers away, so.
0: If, if you haven't seen it, already, you, haven't seen it you, you owe it to yourself to see just so you can watch our episode but also because you'd actually enjoy the movie because I don't know anybody who's seen it who hasn't been like, alright, that is pretty good. Even people who know like the plot twists and points I've known and introduced the film to still enjoyed it. But especially if you do mm-hmm. know the twists, watch it with somebody who doesn't 10 times better. But we talked about Roger Corman. According to IMDb he's done 415 movies he's produced. Damn! 94 years old. Damn. Jesus. And still more
2: too, because there is death race, 2050 that had the guy from Spartacus in there. And it's Roger Corman produced that. So he was, I don't know what he did much of, but he did that. That was a few years ago.
0: Hell yeah. So I found a really fun, like list of prolific filmmakers that he's worked with over the years. Would you like to hear just some of them? Shoot. So he worked with George Armitage on gas Paul Bartel on Death Race 2000, Timur Bikmabetatov on the arena, Peter Bogdanovich on Voyage to the Planet of the Prehistoric Women. This little fella, don't know if you've heard of him, James Cameron on Battle Beyond the Stars. Another little fella you might have heard of, Francis Ford Coppola on Battle Beyond the Sun. You had, I mean, it, the list goes on in like, what? I'm sorry. How did you? Ron Howard in Grand Theft Auto from 1977. Another guy. Kind of indie. You might have heard of him. Martin Scorsese, Boxcar Bertha from 1972. So really check out his filmography and then like just take a deep dive and you'll see. Like everybody needs to start somewhere. And so for people who've besmirched, you know, Corman for being a schlockmeister, I mean, fucking Joe Dante gets to start on Hollywood Boulevard with him. And then Joe Dante from there gets piranha. From piranha gets gremlins, bada bing, bada boom, legend.
2: Yeah. Roger Corman was the doorway for these filmmakers just to kind of, you know, for, not necessarily for them to experiment, but I imagine when they went to college, when they got out, they, that would be the first opportunity. It would be Roger Corman because he had all these productions going on exactly. at the time. And
0: I think a lot of people like to have these lofty presuppositions where they think, oh, well, I would never besmirch myself by doing that. And it's like, well, you know what job you take? You take the job that pays. You know, the fact is for everybody who wants to make fun of Jennifer Aniston for having done Leprechaun for like her film debut that movie paid her that movie made it so she didn't have to have a shitty job so she could go to other auditions so i think people should be so lucky you know and especially if you're an independent filmmaker and you're working and you're aspiring to something like i think that it's very disingenuous to you know look down your nose at other works because that could be the thing that finances you going and literally creating a life doing what you want to do
2: that's exactly it. Yeah. Back when I was in college, I had people that were like, they'd like oh, you enjoy these films? I wouldn't be caught dead working on this. That's I need to work with people that do Tree of Life. And you know, what are they doing
0: now? Exactly. So. Gone. So shall we get to another kind of no-name fella? Didn't really make a huge dent in the industry. A guy who did the music, James Horner? Have, have you heard mm-hmm. that name? Does that does? Am I pronouncing that right? James Horner. Oh, oh, fuck! I'm looking at his IMDb now. Oh, he did Apollo 13 and Braveheart and basically every Star Trek movie and what? The Mask of Zorro? Bicentennial Man? And he had 14 days to do the music for this film. Did that blow your mind? Wow. Well, J.J. Abrams did the music for Night Beast, and Hell that yeah. was yeah. Then they
2: actually liked that music, so. Yeah, everyone's got to start somewhere. And Roger Corman was definitely the, uh, the the gateway drug for these filmmakers.
0: Yeah, I really like the music for this film. Like, it sounds epic in parts. I mean, it's not the best music I've ever seen, but it's, it's definitely good. It's stylized. It, it has a certain degree of permanence and timelessness to it. You know, especially when you have direct comparisons to films such as Aliens and whatnot. The fact that he made sure to use an orchestral, you know, Composition as opposed to just doing something cheap and easy like synth, not saying that it's necessarily easy to write the music, but to execute and to record and to slap it onto a film. It's much cheaper and much more expedited process. The fact that he had such a condensed timetable still did that, I mean, it, it makes it art. I mean, with a movie that's got subject matter like this, if you start making little bargains like, oh, we have cheaper music, oh, we have cheaper effects, then it becomes less artful and just becomes bad you know
2: yeah the uh the music on here too i, I believe i'm trying to I'm, I'm looking at the back here for reference let's see yeah i mean he said he had 15 days to do it that's that's pretty good for 15 days
0: yeah i couldn't do it with 15 weeks so <laughs>
2: <laughs> no well yeah you didn't have anything like ipads or anything like that back in the day because now i could understand it's like oh i gotta make music real quick we'll just pull out your phone or your ipad and make some music download right. an app for them. but no you had a full orchestra so
0: yeah, I saw a really cool device. It's a MIDI guitar that you link to your phone, so it never goes out of tune, and you can carry it everywhere, and you can just play guitar, but your phone does all the work. And I'm like, Jesus Christ! Like, what, what an age to be alive!
2: I just get that piece and plug it in. Forty dollars later, yeah, it's 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 crazy how far things have come. I've seen little uh, key Casio keyboards you plug into to, and you make the music. You do it on gra- uh, GarageBand yep. on your iPad or computer, and you've got you've got music. You've got a full orchestra at the
0: touch of a finger.
2: Oh God, this quarantine sure is boring. I wish we had something to play. Who wrote this shit?
0: Sounds like it's time to bust out Don't Get Stabbed, the party game where you get to kill your family and friends for pretend.
1: Ugh, I wish I could kill you. What? Uh, I
2: said I wish I could kill time playing this with you. Where can people get a copy?
0: Amazon, where you get literally everything else.
2: So they don't have to go to a
0: store? They don't even have to put pants on. Disclaimer, this has been an unpaid ad because we like this game and our friend Jordan and you should too. So shall we get to Rob Botton, the amazing little child who did this kind of amazing amount of work on this film?
2: Yes, and this was one of the things, uh, kind of like how... Peter Jackson made the bad taste aliens in his
0: his mother's oven.
2: I feel like this is kind of how it was. I mean look at look at these monster effects on here. This is really good for however old uh, Rob Botton was because he he ended up going to do Robocop the thing, the effects on seven, total recall effects. So he went on to big things after this.
0: Hell yeah! The the Howling, the Witches of Eastwick. Like, there's some really cool stuff. And he'd also by this point he'd already done the Fog. He'd worked on Piranha. So you have you know that kind of gorilla. You know, got a cheap budget. We're just gonna like just make sure we get every penny's worth of what we're getting out of it, right?
2: Yeah, these suits too. They took a lot of damage. Um, from what I noticed upon watching it too, maybe there were like three suits total. Yeah because there's the one with long arms and there's another one and there's like a stunt outfit. Cause I did notice there was one that was constantly being used where they like set it on fire later yep. on in the movie. So Much there's probably thicker three, they padding look and like stuff. Like- yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he went on to do the thing and a uh, crazy story about that though. Um, when, when Joe Castro made the little insult puppet, Rob Botton gave him some of that, uh, this latex stuff that was recycled from the thing wow. when the dog has those little tentacles out of the back. So there's some of Rob Botton's, thing tentacle juice inside of that incel baby puppet that joe castro made so a little bit of history that's amazing yeah so i'm kind of like man i feel so blessed but yeah ended up doing robo now i don't think he did the stop motion in robocop i think that was some different so he did
0: the special effects makeup you got murphy's hand blowing up you got (laughs) the liquefying man in the acid Uh, you got fuck red foreman's bleeding neck there's some really fun effects in that movie
1: Mm Mm-hmm
2: which is another great, uh, you know, people think it's like, oh, this action thing. No, it's a great
0: drive-in horse. It's very
2: good. It's gory than some horror movies. It
0: is, dude. That movie is a fucking horror movie. Like, it blows my mind that, like, I had to explain it because when we recently did The Crow, I compared it to The Wraith and I compared it to Robocop. I'm like, how can you tell me that a fucking revenge zombie isn't a horror movie? And then especially when you take the ultra violence that Paul Verhoeven's doing, I mean, geez, but yeah, I think that if you take out the cheeky vignettes, you might get there a little bit more. But when you got, I'll buy that for a dollar and like three commercials, uh, it gets a little uh, a little bit muckier, I guess. It
2: does. But man, that, that key stab to the neck, that's that's some good gore. And you remember that. I remember seeing that as a kid. Oh, hell and that yeah. was the R rated cut on VHS. So it's even more gorier now. on
0: like the uncut versions. Yeah, I like my Paul Verhoeven movies uncircumcised if you catch my drift. Now, when it came to the character design for the humanoids in this film, I was, you know, my wife looked over my shoulder while I was watching and she's like, "Oh, that's, that actually looks pretty cool." And I was like, "Yeah, it reminds me of the creature from the Black Lagoon meets Cthulhu without the tentacles."
2: Yeah, definitely the creature from the Black Lagoon. Like they had the brain of the Mars Attacks aliens. Yeah, right. Ak, 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 ak. Yeah, that, that's a great movie too. And Hell then yeah. I'm trying to remember what they. I don't know if you've seen the movie Zat. Yeah, dude, where he's got the tennis shoes. Yeah, that one. That one. It was filmed in like a pond. That, uh, that, basically the same. I mean, that movie had horrible effects, but I still love it. But this one, yeah, it's like I said, Rob Button did an amazing job on these effects here. It was a mixture of all Creature from Black Lagoon. And and it still looks great to this day. Yeah. And did you know that Bottin
0: and Steve Johnson both played humanoids? In the film
2: i did not know that
0: <laughs> yeah and the kent adamson also did and i believe he acted as something of a shadow producer on the set so that's kind of cool yeah so like um a lot of
2: a lot of people doing a lot of things on this movie wearing multiple hats multiple hats and this also has the jaws type mayor but uh the
0: the trump if you will yeah so. right i care about money not people's lives
2: Yeah, you you expect me to close this place down? We're the the fairs here. That's the biggest time to...
0: Yeah,
2: okay, yeah. All right, okay, Boomer. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) So shall we get into nicknames? Yes, let's get into nicknames. Awesome. So we had Doug McClure as Jim Hill. Now, I mean, he was the basis for Troy McClure. How crazy is that? It was him and equal parts Troy Donahue. For Phil Hartman's iconic Simpsons character, you might remember me from such films as Humanoids from the Deep. Yeah, I'm Troy McClure. Yes, yeah, so I really like him. He had some really fun quotes. One thing I found of his that I really enjoyed was, Watching the sound of music is like being beaten to death by a Hallmark card. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he was in other movies such as like The Land That Time Forgot and Death Race. And I mean, he had a very interesting career, did some Western stuff. Uh, Right before doing Humanoids from the Deep, he had done Warlords of the Deep, which I thought was a pretty fun little tandem, if you will. That movie is basically about the lost world of Atlantis. So it's a little bit different, but equally fun. And there are some great creature feature effects. Okay, cool,
2: cool. Very nice little tidbits of info there.
0: I always try. And as far as a nickname goes, can we just call him Troy McClure?
2: We'll call him Troy McClure cuz that's the same thing I saw as soon as I saw Doug, Doug McClure, I'm like Troy McClure.
0: Perfect. Then we have the doctor, uh, Susan Drake played by Anne Turkle. She does a great job. She adds a lot of credibility to this. Like I very I always 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 remember the scene where the guy's basically mansplaining to her in the lab coat and he's she's like "Suck my fucking dick. You ain't no shit." And uh, yeah, I might be paraphrasing there because I don't know if that's the exact quote of what she says, but she does a really that's good exactly job. That's exactly what she said. That's exactly what she said. And did you so, know she was married at one point to Richard Harris, who was the captain in Orca, which we just did on the show.
2: And this is this is more cheese man drama than the Spanish telenovelas. <laughs>
0: good, good web of uh,
2: good web of connections. Yeah, there.
0: We're going to replace six degrees of Kevin Bacon with six degrees of Orca, the killer whale. I'm down. I'm down. Awesome. So <laughs> other movies that she was in, she had done Humanoids from the Deep. She was also in Night Rider and a bunch of TV shows like Murder, She Wrote and Robocop, the TV series. So if you get a chance, her career is pretty get damn decent itself. I was just going to call her Doc. Nothing too crazy because she doesn't annoy me in this film. Like, I think that she's a really redeemable character who's pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, makes makes yeah, because uh, when when I saw Night Rider, that's what I remember her. She was in, I believe. I don't know if she was the same one. Uh, so, let's scare Jessica to death. I'm not sure if she. That's the same actress from that movie, but um, yeah, definitely familiar face.
0: <laughs> yeah, and. One thing I also want to say, I think another reason I don't want to pick on her is because I actually think that like I'm I'm sympathetic to her to an extent. Because when Barbara Peters and she saw the additional sequences that Roger Corman had done, they both respectfully requested to have their names removed from the film and they were refused and they had to. And so she appeared on like different talk shows and stuff and basically said, like, this was wrong. I I really appreciate that she had the strength of character to take a stance and take an opinion and say, look, this isn't the art that I wanted to create. It isn't a reflection, but without doing it in a way where it was trying to further her career at the disadvantage of somebody else. You know, it wasn't like Roger Corman is Satan and and I feel victimized. It was, this is a condemnation, but I'm moving on. And she had a a very successful career after it.
2: Yeah. So just goes to show you, I mean, like I said, was Roger Corman right in doing it morally. No, but I think it it definitely pays off in the movie because I don't think it would have been remembered if not for the interference. Exactly.
0: I mean, and that's how you get those extremes and people remember extremes. I mean, sex sells for a reason, right? You had Vic Morrow as Hank Slaterly. Did you, so this guy, his weird life, when well, he was, yes, full. Well, I was going to say with Vic Morrow, he, uh, Twilight's on the movie
2: was his last movie. He got killed by John Landis in that one.
0: So, okay, here's even weirder. So when he filmed the film Dirty Mary Crazy Larry in 1974, they were filming it in 73 and he insisted on having a $1 million life insurance policy before he would do anything in a helicopter. He said, I have always had a premonition I was going to die in a helicopter crash. And just like you said, on the set of Twilight Zone, the movie in 1983, he told a production assistant, quote, I must be out of my mind to be doing this. I should have asked for a stunt double. What can they do but kill me? Right. And he got killed by a helicopter blade.
2: What? Wow. That's that's scary. So I I didn't I mean, I knew about all that, but I didn't know his his premonition of the life insurance and everything. That's, that's really scary.
0: Dark, right? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. You know,
2: sometimes you get a third eye for things like that. That's, that, that's creepy. That makes the story even creepier. Yeah,
0: exactly. Cause
2: you can see it as like, kind of like a set accident, which is tragic. But you know, when you, when you, you want to go for a million dollar life insurance claim before you go on a helicopter, that's scary stuff.
0: Yeah. So I was, I don't want to like make a joke about him and call him like the whirly bird or anything. So, did you have anything for him <laughs> as far as the movie goes?
2: Mm, not too much. The uh, I thought he was. I thought he was the Trump of the uh, the group because he started a fight with the. Uh, yeah, he, he was he was punching that guy who had the gun. Remember, he's like, oh, you know, I'm not. My dogs are getting killed.
0: He's a racist guy. I mean, he yeah. clearly attacks like the Native American fella. So, yeah, I didn't want to go straight to the jugular, but yeah, let's do it. Like, he is not a likable character. So. Doesn't mean that no, he he's is not a, a likable
2: character, yeah. but that tells you he's a good actor because you didn't like him. Exactly. So. He's, effect-
0: he's doing effective heel work for our pro wrestling fans. Yeah. Yeah.
2: What's crazy about that, too, is that Twilight Zone, the movie, he plays a racist character as well, too, because remember, he gets sent back to, yep. you know, the Vietnam and, and uh, Nazi Germany. So Maybe where there's
0: smoke, there's fire. We'll never know. Cindy yeah. Weintraub played Carol Hill. This was her feature film debut. After this, she does The Prowler in 1981. She plays Lisa. She did six episodes of Baker's Dozen, then never acted again.
2: Probably out in the mountains somewhere.
0: <laughs> her career is shorter than My Tiny Shriveled Dick.
2: Any nicknames for her? Well, I can relate first of all. And then <laughs> the uh, any for her... I can't think of any smart ones off the top of my head. What, what's some of your nicknames?
0: I didn't really have one for her because like, I feel bad. She just basically gets victimized and covered in slime. Well, I mean, what a way to go. That's
2: Usually when you get killed in a movie, it's like you kind of immortalize your death, you know? So to, who knows? Maybe her kids one day will watch. It's like, hey, mommy, I was watching this movie. You got killed and you got slimed.
0: And I saw your boobs. Yeah. So, you were like John Hurt in Alien. Oh, maybe we that's what we could do. We call her Kane. Mm, Kane, Kane, okay. There we go. If I remember, I probably forget. We had Anthony Pena as Johnny Eagle. Uh, he <laughs> was Valdez in The Running Man, and he was also in The Marathon Man. So, uh very cardiovascular theme through his cinematic filmography, wouldn't you say? I would, yeah. I thought it was pretty interesting. He was actually scouted by Cincinnati Reds to play baseball, but actually completed his degree at the University of Santa Barbara and has teaching credentials in history and English for children with disabilities. So I thought, hey, look at this nice fella over here.
2: Yeah, playing Johnny. Now, Johnny Eagle, I'm trying to remember, that was the guy with the short shorts, right?
0: Yeah. Real nice jaw. He is one of the two guys to be wearing a vest at the beginning of the movie. Okay.
2: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Because I was I was gonna say, man, those those short shirts are shorter than Daisy Duke's.
0: <laughs> yeah, buddy, I could see some under butt cleft. You know.
2: Yeah, I saw a um, um, uh, male camel toe.
0: So. A moose snuckle. We had Denise Gaelic. Uh, she played Linda Beal. We had Lynn Thiel, who uh, slash Schiller, because I saw both names as Peggy Larson. Now this was interesting. She played Beth in Without Warning. According to mm-hmm. IMDb, she's number 13 in the greatest monster human sex scenes of all time, and she was the July 1975 Playboy Playmate of the month. Huh. The now, that, that monster
2: sex scene, was that for Humanoids from the Deep? Yep. That was. Okay.
0: As I say, what else did she get raped in? Oh, so, God, right. <laughs> or consensual, you know? Yeah. We've, the Shape of Water. I mean, this is before its time.
2: Yeah. Well, Shape of Water. Yeah, Shape of Water was a little tamer compared to this, but... Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. More romantic. Sensual, right? Mm -hmm. A couple of other ones I just wanted to touch on. You had Don Maxwell as Dickie Moore. You might remember he was the coach in Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Child. That's number five in the series. And you had Greg Travis as Mike Michaels, the radio announcer. He was in Starship Troopers, and he played Andy Warhol in The Watchmen. So I thought that was pretty great. Mm -hmm. Okay. A couple other people's film debuts, but uh, one theme that you'll see with a lot of these actors, their careers don't go anywhere. So... I don't know if this movie was cursed in that capacity but they all I mean, made it out with their lives so that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, well I was going to say a lot of them probably act in other, either Roger Corman things or low budget horror because a lot of them seem so familiar Like when I, say them, like, I know I've seen them in this movie but what other schlocky movie did I see? Well, some One of them's in, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the, I think Roger Corman produced it, Screwballs and Screwballs 2 they were like 80s sex comedies right when Porky's came out, they, yeah. all these sex comedies, Revenge of the Nerds type movies came out Is the there Screwballs pies in that one? Is there pies in in screwballs? Yeah.
0: For some reason, I'm thinking there's like a scene where somebody gets a cream pie. I might have it confused with one (laughs) of the other grab ass kind of comedies of the time. but
2: Yeah, I'm sure. I don't remember someone sitting on a pie, but I'm sure there are a lot of cream pies. uh, Zing. (laughs) There we
0: go. You might remember. I'm looking at it now. There's definitely, I, I know there's a redhead in this who's topless. So yes, I've seen this movie.
2: Yeah, she's like the Statue of Liberty, and she's like this Christian conservative girl that's like, no one will ever see my boobs. And the whole movie is that that, that's the the plot of the movie. They got to try to get this girl to expose her tits.
0: I'm all about it. Probably doesn't age very well, but I mean. No, it
2: doesn't, because the way they do it at the end, spoiler, I mean, I think you watch them on Tubi, but yeah, they she's in like this crowd for like the feed, feed the starving children of America. Okay. At the end of it, she's in this um, Statue of Liberty thing, and they pull her dress and she's completely nude in front of feed the children. So I don't oh, think wow. that. Oh, wow. And that's the ending of the movie. They accomplished what they wanted. So Oh, well, it's, a, it's a, going out with a bang. It is. And I remember one of the main characters, his name was Jerkowski. So.
0: <laughs> really <laughs> subtle. Yeah. So shall we get into the sleigh-by play for the film? Yes, let's do that. So like I said, basically starts off with child murder, which I'm all about. In the remake, the child who's going to get murdered by the humanoid, his mom jumps in. She's the one who gets taken. And then she's the one who first comes back in this kind of diluted uh, zombie-type state before the humanoid rips out of her. And she's kind of the herald of the horrors to come for everybody. So like while I'm excited that this movie has a child death, You then go to one dog death to seven dog deaths. And then there's having a fucking party and short shorts brings a dead dog into it. And then another guy gets racist and fights him. How do I like this movie if all this terrible shit happens in the first 10 minutes? It, it's it's a
2: palate cleanser because the first 10 minutes you got all this stuff going on basically any other movie they sort of would have still been introducing these characters but yeah right he like said seven seven dead dogs is that what it was because there is a high dog body count on this yeah
0: so he says seven I, I only counted a couple on screen and then you have the one where he carries his husky in but i think it's just an allusion to you know their they're doing their incremental steps in their invasion, right? They're starting off with the dogs because the dogs are going to be alarmed. They're working their way to the people.
2: Yeah. Which I got to say too, those, either the dogs were good actors or Rob Botten did some good dog effects. Cause Seriously. I, ke- I kept trying to look, I'm like, is the dog just playing dead or is that an actual stuffed animal?
0: Or they give it that good. dog some like knockout gas or something.
2: Yeah, something. Because I I rewatched Pet Cemetery 2. And I remember when they're dragging around the dead uh, Zowie. I'm like, man, that's such a fake stuffed dog there. You can see like its legs stuffings come out.
0: Yeah, but I will say, I think I've often said that two things led to furryism. One being Pet Cemetery 2 in the scene where the dad has the dream with the lady (laughs) who has sweet (laughs) boobs, but then the dog's head and then Babs Bunny.
2: Yeah, Babs Bunny had bunny boobs. Yeah, that was the first for me. That's that's why this, you know, anime hentai <laughs> fetish. Of, of, I've even seen Judy Hopps now. Everyone's got the now kids nowadays. Their whack off materials Judy Hopps. I don't know what that is from Zootopia, the new Disney movie. Oh shit! I saw that movie. I did. That's yeah. Oh, it's well, no, so I'm dark now. Pornhub, and I, I see it's like this game will make you come in thirty seconds, and it has Judy Hopps. I'm like, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> I bet you it won't. <laughs> yeah, but no. So yeah, kids nowadays, if they've got. Uh, we had Babs Bunny. They have uh, the cop uh, bunny, which I don't think is going to set well now. Cop main main cop characters. <laughs> oh but. man. (laughs)
0: yeah well you know it's all it's rule 34 right like the internet has porn of it or you have to create it you saw that thing about like the my little pony that they created for like the child with disabilities and then the producers had to be like hey please don't create porn of this and then their fans (laughs) still created porn of it and it's like oh god just everything needs to just be burned down and start over again we need to start at the zygote coming out of the fucking primordial ooze and just end humanity
2: <laughs> yeah, well I mean now it's seeking into just pop culture now. I, what was it? Bob's Burgers they had Tina saying, "Oh, this is my erotic friend fanfiction." Oh god. It's,
0: so how about the, like just hilariously bad fight scene in the parking lot which ends in a couple not getting laid in the back of a station wagon? I mean that that is some gripping stuff.
2: Oh, that is. Yeah, the constant use of that <sighs> It's, it's the yeah, right. same sound effect they like kind of copied and pasted over to the uh it's, it's the same sound effect just reused over in fact you hear it where they loop it so it's the same sound effect overlapping shows like
0: yep it reminds so, me a lot of have you ever seen Billy Jack the like cowboy Billy kung Jack, fu yep. guy yep
2: that's exactly what it was everyone started in on the fight too it just started with the two and then it, it was almost comical and then the, the 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 guy and the girl that were trying to get get laid ended up having to wax the carrot because he got he's like hey we're (laughs) trying to throw in here and he gets punched in the face
0: and there's some continuity with this character continuing trying to get laid so i mean it's that's actually an odd bit of character development as you go through the movie
2: it is but there's a creepy part i don't know if we've gotten to that part yet but i think actually it's kind of nightmarish the the scene with the guy with with the dummy the ventriloquist dummy yeah that's awful on the beach in the tent yeah, and, and the crazy thing is that guy. Um, I met him last year when they had the Friday the Thirteenth Part Two reunion at the New Art Theater. Okay, he's the he's the um, guy from Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, the really the tall, skinny ginger guy that goes out for a beer. Oh, right and on. takes the waitress out. I hadn't even. Yeah, he doesn't get killed in the movie, but he gets killed in this. But it, it kind of goes into supernatural territory because that dummy's eyes start moving by itself when it sees the monster coming through.
0: I love little silly details like that, though. Like people get so butthurt. But I mean, I think it's fun. If you, are, if you can make the logical like acrobatics to understand fish mutants, like the idea that somebody could have telekinesis or a sentient you know, dumb ventriloquy dummy, who who can be mad at it?
2: That's what I was going to say. It's like people are watching this like, hey, I'm watching this fish rape monster movie.
0: And this dummy's eyes moving. This completely ruins the reality. <laughs> yeah, right. So. so slightly before that is when you had the first like really cool gore effect where the the same nerd from the station wagons trying to get his dick wet and the monster just rips his face and his eye is like dangling and his head's a little concave and he's like flopping in the waves and reaching out for her as the monster drags her away to do the dirty business but you know i'm a big fan of the gore effects that part
2: yeah that was uh, that was really a gore and i felt like that was roger corman's reshoots because i don't remember was that a roger corman reshoot scene
0: (laughs) i feel like it is it the tonally it feels it's all very abrupt to keep having him like flop around bleeding versus just falling into the water because it seems clear that he's like dead at first and then it's him suffering in agony So I feel like that was definitely something to just kind of pump up the jams.
2: Yeah, but I can definitely say that that fish rape, uh, very reminiscent of the movie Extro. So if you've seen Extro, it reminded me of too.
0: For sure. And so then you have your ventriloquy scene. You get to the scene where one Molotov cocktail blows up an entire fucking cabin. How about that? (laughs) Yeah. I (laughs) rewatched the scene twice just to make sure I wasn't missing something. I was like, is this like an oil refinery? Like, why did it just blow up? because they had the budget to blow it up exactly right and so then there's the other one where the monster pulls the dude with the gun off of the dock and then the dude crushes his fucking head in like captain america hucking a shield then shoots him not once uh, not twice but thrice in the chest with a rifle at point blank range it's awesome poor poor stuntman (laughs) yeah right yeah, poor stuntman because you got to think too, and they were getting shot and stuff.
2: They're in that heavy suit and they're falling in the water. Yeah, that's got to be scary to do because you know it's already heavy, hard enough to breathe in that costume as it is. Imagine being submerged in water with all that blood and gore effects and stuff too. So. And
0: imagine how hard the squibs have to be to get through that compared to like a T-shirt. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's that's the other thing. So. Yeah, good for them. That, that's one thing, too. I, I give credit to all these people that did these either in-water scenes or people that worked with the shark in Jaws or even like Humanoids from the Deep When that well, uh, later on in the movie. But I maybe it's like an unknown fear, but a fear of the water and fear of being entrapped in, in with like uh, mechanics underwater, too. I always thought like seeing anything like rigging or any sort of mechanical things underwater and you being anywhere near it, it always gave me the creeps. I don't know why. There's actually a subreddit for that,
0: Thalassophobia, which is the fear of the ocean. So people will post stuff like that a lot
2: yeah and it's crazy because i i do have a fear of the open ocean but this movie kind of it re- reminded me like when when the actors are, are falling in later in the movie yeah uh, they're in that pier area and that pier with the log is just going in. i don't know i'd be like if i was an actor on that i'd be like i'd do it but i'd probably be like okay i'm gonna get this shot i'm gonna get the shot and i'm getting the fuck out of this water
0: seriously where's so, my uh, backup snorkel just in case what's going on where's, yeah <laughs> keep me safe yeah. here. where's my union rep i want him on the phone now
2: yeah. Or just better have some good food at craft services. <laughs> right,
0: make it up for it. You got the chick when she's driving, you get the creature smashing through the windshield and then she just like drives yeah, off. Great. And then she keeps looking through her side mirror, but doesn't look through her back window. And then he's there. I thought that was just kind of quaint and cute. The big bridge explosion or where the uh, car drives off of it then explodes, that's super fun. It's hokey, it's completely ridiculous, but it's one of those things where it's like my viewing pleasure was actually increased greatly with a yet another explosion in this film.
2: Yeah, and the explosions are all like kind of like sugar on top of that already fat saturated popcorn because when you see humanoids from the deep it's like okay i'm already satisfied there's monsters there's there's gore there's creature effects it's 80 minutes and then on top of it, you get these explosions which is just in hey, this book hey give it to me
0: yeah and Fuck it. you see an old man unironically wearing a beret which is fucking sweet oh, yeah. <laughs> i had to take a note about that i was like man uh, he unironically looks pretty cool so then they yeah, go so- good
2: no, I was just going to say, so this movie's got everything for everyone. It's jammed into one. It's like, it's like devil's food. You know what
0: I mean? You yeah. Can't, better than sex so. cake, right?
2: Yeah. So, so then, you get an orgasm watching all those orgasms on screen.
0: <laughs> the fish <laughs> orgasms. So they end up going back to like the nest and they're taking all the pictures with the doctor and they find out that Peggy's still alive and she's covered in the slime under the seaweed. Dude, that is a super simple effect. It is so creepy and awesome. I love it
2: yeah that that is a great and even with the actress too because it's just kind of like obviously they used real stuff for that so you know you got to really be dead and now the you know, wouldn't be dedicated, but it's some people have phobias of that, so and it just pays off because if it creeped you out, you know, it definitely creeped out of tons of other people. And look how effective and cheap it was!
0: Yeah, and I mean, she had open orifices, and there's like seaweed all over her body. It's that's some dark stuff in the sequel. Yeah. They basically ripped off aliens, and there was the kind of calcified stuff like when you see the people up on the walls with the chest bursters, so it reminded me of that. So I, I think this effect is simpler, cheaper, and way more unique. So I really like this one by comparison mm.
1: i'll
2: Which, have to definitely check the sequel then so
0: yeah it's totally worth it did you like the brown muddy s- sludge that comes out of the creature's mouth during the autopsy scene
2: i did like that that was very uh it was like a mixture of oatmeal and looked like orange juice maybe but definitely definitely black exorcist
0: type type puke there it was red And then, again, you're keeping an incredible pace through this whole movie. You have the whole autopsy. You understand. You get the origins. You get the theory. And then they realize, oh, shit, you got to get to the carnival. I really love when the creatures walk and their tails move. It's such a subtle detail, but it distinguishes it so much from my creature from the Black Lagoon and whatnot. And it's just a good at like little, you know, again, subtlety. But you I mean, if you just have a tail, it's one thing, but you can see the performer underlying knows that the tail is there and is articulating with their way that they walk and move. Good stuff like that. It's c'est magnifique. Mwah.
2: Yeah, and that, that's perfect, too. And then the monsters each kind of had different looks, too. Like you had almost the one that, like, the fatter-looking one. Yep. That the they used man. for stuff, obviously. And then there was the one with the long arms. Like Reed Richards, yeah. Had, yeah, that's... And, and all that uh, you remember that, and, and that's another thing too. I was going to say that's why I'm glad we're doing a podcast on this because I feel like with Humanoids from the Deep, the monsters, when you watch them, granted it is for you know the cult audience that likes it, but they could have made toys or they could have made something like little action figures of these monsters. I'd buy them. Yeah, I I'd like them never a lot. Made a line of Humanoids from the Deep, and we we never got that. <laughs> so
0: not <laughs> yet, but you can imagine there's going to be a Funko Pop of it at some point.
2: Yeah, and that'd be cool. You get all three, spend $60 fucking dollars on a Funko Pop because, oh, this one has a different splotch of color or right. this one's
0: got the long arms. Or they'll release the same one, but like shittier. Like I always hate when it's like, oh, the Invisible Woman where it's like a clear plastic Funko Pop, but then they have like the regular one. It's like, well, which one do you buy? Both, I guess. I don't know.
2: Yeah. yeah so, those limited editions are, this one's flocked and this one's
0: not. Or this one is the exact same, but it's in a different box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to give a shout out to the ginger beard guy who gets ganked from behind and just has a torrential shower of blood out of his throat. One of my favorite kills in the movie.
2: Oh yeah. that That's a, yeah, that's a really good one. Like I said, great gore in this one too. And when you think about the thing, it's a lot of the neck, t- like I remember when the guy yep. gets his neck completely ripped off. If you remember that scene in the thing, when the the fat guy's on the table and his neck's kind of stretching before it to make sprouts that, legs so and walks like a, away. Yeah. Yeah. But before that, you see like the neck ripping, they use like that same kind of neck rip effect on there. So
0: it's awesome. Yeah. It's actually a pretty damn decent fake head considering it's in the movie for all of five seconds, you know?
2: Yeah. I wonder
0: if we got to keep that. So, yeah, somebody is lucky enough to have it. Did you like the Mary? Uh, I don't know. Am I just a weirdo? Because I really laughed out loud when the humanoid was on the merry-go-round and then he kills the guy who <laughs> just keeps going around
2: yeah that i've I noticed that too and I, i'm like man this is uh, at least he got killed he got a good ride out of it. it it very much reminded me i mean ghoulies too came out later but uh the whole carnival setting like where the the there's a fish ghoulie too that's kind of similar oh, to yeah. one of the humans and yeah that that whole thing reminded me of ghoulies too and i love ghoulies too and It's it's childhood favorite of mine so that kind of brings back the nostalgic of this so it's it, it's like i said it's a great man in a monster costume movie and uh, you don't really get movies like this at all
0: now oh you're entirely right you know what's like they do a really good balance like when the kid lights the humanoid on fire they don't belabor it and keep the kid in the rest of the movie they don't keep going back to that well and it's just a nice brief thing you know when it gets to the baby that's not a 20 minute scene you know it's glimpses and then it's done it keeps feeling I guess somewhat fresh because rather than having you know these long narratives or these issues or crises that are like panning out over the movie you abandon them relatively quickly and then you just get a new crisis which is it feels like living in 2020 right where you're just like oh god damn it we just got rid of the last thing the baby's safe and now this person's in danger
2: yeah it it comes and goes really quick that's why i said like the runtime on this is very uh it's quick 80 minutes i'm like man this movie's over already the the, and and that's the thing too like i said hopefully this this episode gets to more people wanting to see this movie or that didn't think because the thing is i remember when i was younger and I seen this movie or before I seen, I seen like the tape and stuff. And I, I, I kind of classified it as like those seventies monster movies where it's so much talking and then the real stuff doesn't happen till like the end and then it just doesn't pay off as well. Cause it's like, Oh, there's so much padding in this. And that's what I thought this was going to be. I watched it like, man, no, this is, and I, I, know a lot of kids my age at the time they had that same mentality too. When this kind of comes around, it's like, Oh, it's gonna be one of those padded out boring seventies movies, but no, it's, it's, it's like gangbusters. <laughs>
0: It's fucking brisk, and I don't know if I'm just getting more patient. I highly doubt it because I feel like I have less free time, so I'm more demanding of my media. But yeah, I completely agree. They then light the entire bay on fire with the fuel, which is a fun effect. And Mm -hmm. then the Native American dude saves Mr. Racist. That was a pretty cool little moment. You got the mom defending her kid in the cabin, and you got multiple humanoids, which reminds me of the diner scene with John Goodman and Chud. Mm-hmm. And basically they save Peggy. They kill the humanoids. She's in the hospital. Her, I really love the effect of her like infected facial wounds healing. And then the fetus rips right through her fucking stomach.
2: Yeah, that's a very much alien type scene with the the chest burster, but her eyes changed too. That was another good effect too. Yeah. Like her the contacts kind of turn like light blue. Like, man, that's uh, that's some good stuff. That's what, what a banger to end the movie. So nothing it doesn't feel anything like, you know, one of those boring seventies Laurent Monster movies. So this and, and that's what I think a lot of people classify it in. And when you watch it, it's it's such a shock. It's like, oh man, this thing's quick, violent, gory, funny. So
0: So Is it a classic, a trashic, or a tragic? Classic, of course, being a good, good movie, Trashic being a good, bad movie, and a tragic being a bad, bad movie.
2: I'm going to go against my gut and probably say trashic because it is on that. It is a classic film. And there's other films that do it with higher class where this one's just down and dirty. Yeah. It's straight to the point. So a lot of people like, you know, you get like the Leonard Moultons or these hipster film critics that'll probably say, oh, it's just garbage. And, and granted, you do get that exploitive nudity, which I don't have a problem with at all. But a lot of people would see that as you know, trash. So maybe trash, you know, people it exploitative. Would but a this.
0: woman got paid for it and she was able to pay her rent because she did it. So, I mean.
2: Yeah. And she's in a scene that'll last the rest of it. Once you're old and wrinkled up and you die, you have something on screen that fulfills your, your legacy, I guess. If you Seriously.
0: These oh. women wish they could jiggle like that uh, these days, if you know what I'm saying. But yeah, I think I have yeah. to agree with you where it is, I guess, a classic trashic, if that makes sense, where it is like a top tier trashic. But you just, like you said, with the subject matter, with the delivery, you can't argue. Like it's definitely some schlock. A l-
2: and a lot of the tits are real. So, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah. and it definitely. Is of its time, you know, like everything. I don't know. It's it's a nice time capsule movie. It's simple. It's fun. Uh, it, it, relatively harmless, despite like pretty severe subject matter. And I'm kind of sad that it's not a franchise. But at the same point, I'm kind of glad because it just makes it like the, you know, when you're done with it, it's just like two ships passing in the night. And you just go about your merry way.
2: Yeah, I mean, this would be a great movie to kind of introduce, you know, kids to. I think if they want to go to the beach or something, and they're like, "Oh, I want to watch Jaws," I'm like, "Let's watch Humanoids from the Deep first." Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm gonna fuck your
0: life up, son.
2: Yeah, I'm really terrified to go anywhere near the near a fair. But you, you st- I mean, you still get the same things. You get the threat of monsters uh, coming out of the water, and you get a uh, racist bigot. Trump-like mayor that wants to open up the place because
0: money. Yeah. It's a shame he doesn't get a gruesome death, but eh, we can't all be winners. Now, Doug, where can the slashers' audience, the mutant goons from beyond, where can they find and support the work that you do? Well, right now you can, uh,
2: if you have a Roku, you can go to B Movie TV, and they're showing Gross House One and Two. If you go on their Facebook page, they show a schedule because B-Movie TV is like a channel. Gotcha. So it plays it plays automatically, like depending on what time of the day it is. And you could also buy the DVD from Amazon, Gross House, and Don't Touch That Dial around there. If you're a big Troma fan, Troma Now. My first film I did is Don't Touch That Dial. That's going to be on – that's streaming now. So if you subscribe to Troma Now, you can watch that there. So Troma Now, Amazon, just uh, look me up. There's some I, – I work with a lot of great schlocky people. And like I said, you always got to start somewhere. So – it's awesome, it's man. Fun. Keep
0: doing what you're doing. I I think it's absolutely beautiful that you're making your art, you're pursuing your dream. Uh, and If I can share our meager audience with you, I'm happy to do it. Now, I would like to thank everybody and take an extra special chance to thank our Patreon patrons and everybody. I mean, it's been remarkable that we've been supported as voraciously as we have, especially during these trying times where I know that the economy is shit and the world is ending. And I just can't say enough how grateful I am for you. But I know that there's so much that you could be doing with your money and your time and just that you're appreciating us and being part of a community and just enjoying something like this podcast and the underlying movies. It means a lot. I've often talked about how when I was a kid, if I had that kind of community that we're developing here, I think I'd be a lot less weird. So hopefully we can give you that sense of community during these trying times. And yeah. My name is Jake. For Doug, I'm going to ask that you go out there and do something you love. And remember that all work and no power play makes Jack a dull boy. This is where you do the fart sound. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Okay, I have an apology to make to Richard Taylor. Richard from the band Bolognium sent me his track... Nigh 17,000 years ago, I do believe, when bolonium was first concocted in a lab somewhere. And here's the problem I knew from the moment I found bolonium that I had to save it for an episode with my good friend Doug Waugh. It is the perfect foil to the guy who directed Gross House and Gross House 2. And if you've seen any of his trauma works, I mean, the juxtaposition there is scandalously sensual. So this track is pretty great. It's called Pain in the Brain, which I, as a dad, have all the time. The band really talks about very openly. They are heavily influenced by bands like Devo and Weird Al, and they totally are, and it totally works. I love it. I listen to this band on my own, and I have done so for months since Richard sent me the song. So first and foremost, I apologize. Second, I want to tell you, go find Bolonium. It's one of those weird things where it's spelled exactly like it's B O L O N I U M. So it's not Bolognium. And I can assure you that when you search it, there won't be much competition from Bolognium cuz I just double checked Google and it worked perfectly. So enjoy Bolognium with pain in the brain.
1: This stress. What a mess. I've got a million to do today, and I'm trapped, but I'm back, and I'm responsible for that, so let's go on with the show, but if you only we Free-